0: Good morning. This morning I'm going to continue teaching on um, the dilemmas that took place after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to uh, the table of contents and find the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. It says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came and made their plans to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas had betrayed him and saw that Jesus had been condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. As we continue dealing with the subject matter dilemmas, we're going to look particularly um, at the dilemmas that people faced after Jesus' resurrection, and in this case, during his um, crucifixion and and how easily we can pair with many of the dilemmas that we could possibly face in our own life. This morning I want to talk about um, the implication of Judas Iscariot's suicide. To understand what a dilemma is, I, I kind of always go back to a source that I've used practically my entire ministry, and that's Noah Webster. So according to Noah Webster, the, the word dilemma is a highly anxious situation that's created by a difficult choice between two or more alternatives. And it's such a difficult choice, especially um, two unequally desirable ones. And they occur because of poor planning or the lack of preparedness. You know, everyone has faced a dilemma before. And... Dilemmas often are, uh, come about in our lives and, and there's a couple factors for the reasoning that they occur. The first one is is because we don't plan very well um, and the second one is that dilemmas occur in the most inopportune time in our life. They come without warning um, and the last thing that I, I've really discovered is is that dilemmas occur when God's righteousness is attempting or trying to redirect us from a decision that we made previously, and God is trying to draw us in a different direction, His righteous direction. So we see in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, uh, of G, uh, of people uh, who are faced with some life-altering dilemmas that they find themselves in. And, and while the answer uh, for the anxieties that they're in is embodied in all about what Pentecost is, is is going to be, these situations in this moment, they have to be solved immediately. Judas Iscariot. Just saying the name Judas seems to say it all, doesn't it? by just the mere mention of his name. Who is known in, in our society by the mere mention of their name? Who comes to mind? Like if I say Jordan, what comes to mind? Or maybe Tiger or Serena. What about in the church? If we say Wesley, who do we think of? And more on the subject of the church, maybe it's a um, Greenfield First United Methodist Church, and I say the name Mason. What comes to mind, Right? But saying Judas Iscariot, you know, obviously we know he's a disciple. Um, He's he's also the treasurer of the disciples as well, but ultimately what Judas is best known for is that of a betrayer. This morning we're going to look at the dilemma that Judas finds himself in during the crucifixion of Jesus. And we're going to separate um, the results of his betrayal, but also what has been applied about his betrayal, and how we can resolve those things in our own life. So I have a question. Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth? Have you ever said something without thinking or hurt someone with something that you said? Some people could care less if they do that, but most of us, we really don't intend to hurt someone with our candor. I don't know about you, but whenever I find that I've said something or done something that has offended someone, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to apologize uh, for that hurt. But as I get older, I, 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 I've, I've been finding that people are easily offended. I can hack people off really good. I, I'm good at it. But have you ever noticed have, how some have just become so thin-skinned and, and get offended really, really quick? I offended a guy once in, in the church I pastored in Dayton uh, because of the way I wear my pants. Um, you, you think I'm kidding? Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name his name or anything like that. Bless his heart, but he said your pants are always drooping and you're always pulling them up all the time when you're preaching. He told me that I needed to wear my pants like him, and now I can't show you, but he would. His pants he always wore above his belly. And so his tie was about two inches tall and and so you know i I, I look at that and, and look at me, and uh, there 's no way in the world i 'm going to wear my pants over my belly sorry i 'm just not going to do it. I even offended a lady one time because of wearing shorts because my legs were exposed. Now, let me just say this: if you 're checking out my legs and they turn you on and you think those are sexy i 'm going to say this real quick you 're the one with a problem because that 's sick now. I say all of that to 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 get us laughing, get us you know, and in, and in, uh, listening to uh, what I'm saying is is because most people think, well, what crazy thing is he going to say next, right? But I say all that because I want to deal something uh, right from the beginning um, as we're talking about Judas, and I believe that somebody really needs to hear this. So I want to preface this sermon in a direction uh, for this message by removing a cultural belief that has crept into the church that has created a barrier around sensitive subjects. So I get you laughing because I want you to hear me. Are you with me? So I'm just going to be really blunt just kind of lay it out here, okay? Christians often don't know how to answer something beyond what their faith requires. I'm going to say that again. Christians often don't know how to answer something beyond what their faith requires. Now, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean— It's much easier to avoid certain subjects that seem to be gray areas like homosexuality, pornography, and suicide. Or it's easier to use a biblical example like Judas' story to hem together a biblical reasoning to justify our condemnation around subjects that are challenging to explain. The implication of the Judas story is so often used to condemn and even damn a person to hell for their act of committing suicide. All the while we see Jesus bowing his head and giving his life and purposely dying on the cross. What's really the difference? Hello? Are you with me? Oh, pastor, you're walking a fine line there. Yes, I am, because someone needs to speak life into the subject of suicide and separate the truth from the lies of the world. Let me say up front, Jesus does not commit suicide. He simply succumbed to the death from the injuries he sustained from his crucifixion. See, Jesus gave his life for us not because of his sin, not because of his choice, but because he is the atonement for our sins. It's a selfless sacrifice. It's just that our belief of what atonement is and who it's designed for plays a critical role in our Christian view of how we see the world and Christ's atonement for sin and how it relates to our human nature. Now, if you come from the Calvinist neck of the woods, your belief in atonement is that it's limited atonement. It's one of John Calvin's five points of Calvinism. This belief is that atonement is limited to Gentiles and Jews alone. Whereas we as Methodists in our Wesleyan understanding is that atonement is unlimited, unlimited. That Jesus died for all, every man, every woman, every boy, every child, every Jew, every Gentile, every Indian, every Asian, all. That atonement and the forgiveness of sin is for all. Now, this will shed more light when it comes to shedding light more on the Judas story. Because Judas had lived with Jesus. Judas had a personal relationship With Jesus. Yet Judas didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, so much so that Judas chose a different direction for his life. To find that, you have to go to Luke chapter 22, verse number 3. It says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Now let's unpack this, okay, and make sense of it all. Judas didn't die in his sin because he committed suicide. Judas died in his sin because he allowed Satan into his life and allowed Satan to direct his choices and his path. And his confession is limited. Church, suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Suicide doesn't damn a person's soul to hell. And using Judas as a proxy for this idea is wrong. Judas isn't in hell because of him taking his life. Judas is in hell because he allowed Satan to rule in his life. See, that's a cultural belief that has crept in and even burdened the church because Christian scholars and and, and preachers and leaders of our past didn't know how to properly deal with mental health issues that we're capable of doing now, especially when it comes to suicide. It's one of these gray areas And In fact, I was doing a little bit of study on suicide, and and it says uh, 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 that over 38,000 Americans die by suicide every year. Now, just think about these numbers for a moment. 38,000 Americans die by suicide every year. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for 15- and 24-year-olds. And second... For 24 to 35-year-olds, on average, one person dies by suicide every 16.2 minutes. So by the time that you have listened to this message, someone has taken their life. There are two times as many deaths due to suicide than HIV or AIDS. And about two-thirds of the people who complete suicide are depressed at the time of their deaths. In fact, depression... That is untreated or undiagnosed or ineffectively treated is the number one cause of suicide. Suicide affects one in every seven households in the United States every year. That means that each suicide intimately affects at least six other people that are connected to them. And guess what? Those people come to our church. Those people are in our community. So how does the church speak to those whose lives are affected because a life was lost to suicide? Using the Judas story? Really? Church, we can do better. We have to do better. For a person to take their own life, psychiatrists and psychologists, you normally don't agree on things. thing, but the consensus that I've gathered and uh, talking with Dr. Wang um, here in, uh, in our community is, is that a person that has suffered uh, um, a psychological break from reality and is utterly insane are those that take their life. Let me say this another way. For a person to take their life, That person has suffered a psychological break from reality, and they're utterly insane to take their life. A person who has suffered a psychotic break in their mental capability cannot reason and cannot think logically any longer. And for for many, the only way to resolve and answer the brokenness they feel is by ending their life. See, I don't believe that a person's soul who takes their life, who has been saved and been baptized, will spend one moment separated from God in eternity and wind up in the devil's hell. Because sin is a willful and reasoned action against the will of God. What substantiates my belief? Well, our Wesleyan theology teaches us that logic and faith go hand in hand. Logical thinking is a way of healthy reasoning. When you take valid subject matters and weigh them out against each other, that's logic. That's using it properly. And that's how we as Wesleyans are supposed to practice our faith in Christ. So let's look at this first part of our text and, and look at one word that will shed light on the real dilemma of Judas. See, the, the dilemma of remorse often leads us to number one. To seek opportunities to change the outcome. So let's look. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 3. It says, When Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Now, we, we already know what Judas did, so let's not beat a dead horse. But Judas's dilemma is a direct result of him not planning well. Because instead of following after Christ, he chose Satan's way of living rather than following after Jesus. Now, he probably thought that Jesus would get arrested. He may have thought he might have gotten whipped and and he probably thought it probably would go that'd probably be it. He didn't weigh out the cost. Judas didn't plan well. And now he's in the dilemma. And to understand his position we need to look at the word remorse. Therefore, in and itself will shed light on the implication of Judas's dilemma. That word remorse in Greek is um, metomelomia. Metomelomia. It, it sounds kind of kind of fun to say. But meto metomelomia means to be sorry and to change one's mind. Now write that down. To change one's mind. Is remorse, then, the same thing as repent? Well, I studied the word repent. and, and uh, In the Greek, repent means metanoa, which means a change of heart. Now, the rubber's going to meet the road right here, okay? What is the difference between the change of heart and a change of mind? Well, a change of heart occurs when one's will for their life changes, whereas a change of one's mind occurs because of the result of a life decision, aren't satisfactory to one's life, okay? Judas' heart was positioned in what Satan desired, not what God desired. In this text, the word remorse is written with an overtone of emotion, rather one of regret. Church, we can feel those types of remorse. There's basically two meanings of it. One is of the mind because of something that we feel regret over, uh, a decision that was made. Um, We either can feel remorse because we've been caught in something and we're sorry that we got caught and we don't like the outcome that is playing out in our life as a result of it. Or we feel the urgency to repent. Because as a Christian, we've committed sin and we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And logically, we think to ourselves that the only way to resolve our guilt is to repent and ask for forgiveness for that sin we committed. Judas's dilemma is created by him. It's his own choice to follow Satan's way of living and allowing Satan into his life and rejecting Jesus' way of life. And we can see it clearly in the text when we see um, who Judas goes to and seeks out to try to change the outcome, Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 and 4, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, and said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And when you read that, you take it out of the context it's written in, does Judas repent? It looks like it. But he's confessing to the wrong person. He repents, yeah? Does it? Is he really repenting? Who's he repenting to? He repents to the priest, the old covenant way, instead of going to Jesus and repenting. See, the high priest couldn't save Judas. He was part of the problem. Yes, atonement is for everyone who truly repents, and believes in Jesus. But Judas doesn't do that. He's remorseful and goes and is remorseful to a man instead of repenting to the Christ. Let me say this. Man cannot save you. I cannot save you. The same way that a priest can't forgive sin today. Like Being a member of a church can't save you. Your horoscope can't save you. Neither can your mama or your granddaddy save you. And being a good person can't save you. Being a church member can't save you. The Bible says that these things are all a farce. There's only one person who can save you, and that's Jesus, and that's the very person that Judas avoids at all costs. Have you ever uh, shot gasoline prices before? Why, why do we shop gasoline prices? Because we want to save money, right? Well, uh, does anyone buy gasoline from the same place every time? Very few people do. But my dad was one of them. He bought uh, gasoline from Lindsay Shell in Middletown, Ohio, for over 20-some years. He, my dad would run on fumes just to make it to Lindsay Shell. Why? It's because when he was younger, he got stranded in the middle of winter in his Volkswagen Bug because he bought some watered-down gas from a golf station uh, in town. And he was broke down and uh, made the phone call, and Lindsey Shell came and towed his car in. But he didn't just tow his car in. Mr. Lindsey uh, emptied his tank, and then filled my dad's tank up with good gas and got his bug running, his Volkswagen uh, running again. And he did all of this and catch this part. Mr. Lindsay did it at no charge. See, my dad bought gas from Lindsay's shell, not because of the price, but because of the cost that Mr. Lindsey sacrificed. Why do people seek salvation or life fulfillment in everything and everyone else other than Jesus? It's because our sin nature desires what is cheaper than something that cost us more in our life. See Jews, Judas found it easier to seek a different way of changing his predicament by confessing his sin to the priest. And the priest's action, could, should, could, um, action should speak very loud and clear to us if we try to seek forgiveness and we try to seek hope from any other source other than Jesus. The priest rejected Judas's penance. He said, what does that have to do with me? This is on you, buddy. And Judas left there in his brokenness and he took his life. Imagine, though, if Judas could have gone to Jesus while he was still on the cross. Judas would have heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If Judas would have come to Jesus and confessed his sin to him, would there have been an opportunity for Judas' salvation? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Judas didn't consider the cost. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which one can be saved. Church, there isn't any other opportunity in this life for you to find salvation. There isn't anything else in this life that can be offered to you to make you whole. There isn't anything else in this life that can um, make you rich. There's nothing in this world that can conquer all the enemies and situations in your life. There is no other person that can save you than Jesus. And the great thing about it is it's free. God's grace is free. Not to just Jewish folk and not just to Gentiles, but God's grace is free to all because redemption won't cost you a dime because Jesus paid it all. This morning... You might be listening to me. You've heard what I've said and enjoy listening. Made you laugh a little bit. But this morning you might be honest enough with me and, you, and you're just sitting there and you're contemplating in your own heart. You know, maybe, maybe your life has been affected by suicide. Maybe someone in your life has taken it. Maybe you've even contemplated that as well. Let me just say this to you. You're not alone. There are people's lives in the church that you attend or that you don't attend. But there are people that have been through the ringer and they've lost someone and they feel brokenness and they understand that brokenness that you feel. Maybe you are that person that is contemplating those things. Let me just say this to you. Jesus loves you when you feel like everything else and all your hope is lost and that you are totally lost and broken and you have those feelings of just like that you're going to give up, please reach out for help. Talk to a pastor. Let them know what's going on in your life. Reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you because there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. Maybe you be honest enough with me this morning and say, hey, Pastor Kevin, you know, I've made some of those decisions and I'm going down the wrong path. I hear what you're saying. I've heard it my whole life, but maybe something sparked something in you today where you know you're lost. You know that you need Jesus. I challenge you to reach out to me. Let's talk. Let's talk about Jesus. I'll tell you this Jesus has never failed me. Oh, I've walked away from him but he has always been there. He is, as my pastor Randy Wallace used to say, he's, he's the dearest friend I've ever had. He's closer than a brother. And I know that he would like to be in the relationship that I have, and he wants that relationship with you. Let us pray.